and we welcome our viewers and our listeners on different platforms. My name is Joseph Mwangi Mutha, uh, and I'll, I'll be sharing the Word of God with you today on a subject, staying strong and cheerful in uncertain times. Oh yes, we know we are supposed to stay strong, we're supposed to stay cheerful at this kind of time. The Bible commands us to do so and to encourage everybody else. So yes, I will begin with a short illustrative story. Long, long time ago, when I was growing up, we used to walk long distances whether we were going to school, or we were going to the market, or we were going to seek uh, health services, or going to church, it was a long distance. And if it became in the evening, if the sun set, then we would also walk in the darkness. And at that time, I did not wear shoes. And shoes is not the only thing that I didn't wear, but I'll leave the other things for the next time. So what happened is that a lot of times I did hurt myself. And it seemed to be hard to be hurting the same spot every time. It was my right toe, the big toe. And every time I got hurt, uh, sometimes it would get to bleeding. And needless to say, it was always painful. Now, my mother was usually with me. And I have tried to figure out why my father wasn't ever walking these walks with me. But I haven't, I haven't figured. I guess he was working somewhere else. So it was usually my mother. And my mother, whenever I hurt myself, again in the same spot, would make her three usual comments. Comment number one, where were your eyes? And why aren't you using them? And comment number two would be, grow up. And then, if I went in the direction of crying, she would use the that comment, which is, man up. Now, I always ask myself, you know, is she unreasonable? Why can't she just keep quiet? Why must she say these comments? How does she expect me to just grow up suddenly? As I grew up, I got to appreciate her because I knew she was now preparing me for the world that was coming. The world is a jungle, as you know, and she was growing character in me, and she was trying to help me. Well, I must confess, I don't think I have 
grown up as much as she, li she liked to, because even now when I hurt my toe, I still feel like it's too much, probably almost getting, wishing that I could just shout or say something. So, the Bible commands us to be strong of, and of good courage and to give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I perceive some amens, but thank you. But wait a minute. Isn't this like my mother commanding me to grow up and man up? How are we supposed to do this? Especially when we are facing giants of life like coronavirus. And do you realize that I lost my job? Do you have an Id any idea of how much my business is losing every day? How can I not be afraid when it is three days after the end of the month, I have no money for rent, and I know my landlord will show up at exactly 7 p.m. today. Come on. How can I be anxious for nothing when the schools are about to open? I haven't paid school fees for two terms, and I don't know where the money will come from. And do you know that I get sick and my stomach rubbles every time I hear the word school fees, rent, food, supermarket, all those, because there is no money in my pocket. And my dear, these things even happen before I consider to be courageous or not. It just happens to me. Okay, stay with me for the next 20 or so minutes and we will seek guidance from the Word of God. Our learning today will be guided by one of the minor prophets named Habakkuk. So we shall read the book of Habakkuk 3, verse 2, and then verse 17 to 19. Verse 2. O Lord, I have heard your speech, and was afraid. O oh Lord, revive your work in the middle of the years. In the middle of the years make known, in wrath remember mercy. Verse 17, although the fig tree shall not blossom, compare this with our current situation, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall, not, shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stores. Yet, Habakkuk says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and who will make my feet like Hyde's feet and who will make me to walk on my high 
praises. Now the hide is like a mountain goat or a deer that climbs over rocks and goes very high on the mountains. So Habakkuk is saying, or praying to the Lord, that you are my strength and you'll make my feet like the hide's feet so that I can be able to go to high places. Even when there is drought and there is no food, there is no money, when situations are difficult, the Lord shall create my feet that will be able to go to high places and I will be able to find food. Now, Habakkuk is a different prophet. Unlike most other prophets who hear the word of the Lord or have a word from the Lord to the people, Habakkuk has a discussion between him and God. And he sought to understand God's ways and found them unfathomable, if not unjust. So God's ways are difficult to understand, you know that. Remember what he said to Isaiah? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways. So Habakkuk decided to ask, to seek time with God and ask him the difficult questions. And having received replies from God, he responded with a beautiful confession of faith that we would like to emulate in the present day circumstances. Now, Habakkuk was confused that wickedness, strife, and oppression were rampant in Judah, but seemingly God was doing nothing. Habakkuk's questions represented the voice of the godly in Judah. Many were asking the same questions, struggling to comprehend the ways of God. For example, why was God, why was God going to let a nation that did not fear him destroy Israel and take the people to captivity as Jeremiah, prophet Jeremiah, was busy prophesying? Was it true or was, it, was this just fear-mongering? Can God really do that? Can he let a heathen nation destroy the people of God and the temple of God? Now today we have many similar questions. We are overwhelmed with conspiracy theories as people try to understand what's happening around coronavirus. Now is it Bill Gates who wants to sell his vaccine? Or is it the Democratic Party that wants to get rid of the Republican president? Or is it something against the black race? What is it? Or is it China that's trying some, some biological weapons? 
So there are many conspiracy theories and we kind of get confused, we get lost in all of it. But the biggest question is, where is God in all of this? Why would God let heathen nations bring such apocalyptic suffering to nations that fear him? Why make evildoers triumph over those called by his name? Wouldn't God defend us? Wouldn't he defend a nation that fears him? So these are the bigger questions. Now the secret to understanding what God is doing is to have the mind of Christ, which then means have the mind of God. It is to look at the world and what is happening with the eyes of God. He is the creator of the world and mankind. He sustained the earth through ages by saving remnants who gave reverence to his name, although he chose to have mercy on by his grace. Then he paid the ultimate price when he gave his only begotten son to be a ransom for sin. How then shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Now, God is seeking people to stand in the gap even through this age. Some sort of remnants, even in the age that we are in, the present age. He is particularly seeking people who will be consistent in three things. Number one, acknowledging God in everything. Number two, giving God exclusive dedication and glory. Number three, hearts that are focused on preparing for the second coming of his son. Let me repeat those three things that God is seeking from his people. Number one, acknowledging him, acknowledging God in everything. And number two, giving God exclusive dedication and glory. And number three, hearts that are focused on preparing for the second coming of his son. In these three things lies the secret for complete ejection of fear and anxiety from our lives. Now, let us spend a few minutes and dive a little deeper into each of these three things. Number one, acknowledge God in everything. When Jesus taught his followers to pray, he instructed them to begin with acknowledgement and adoration. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be your name. But the world has since forgotten there is a God in heaven, driven by discoveries in science, perfection of arts, and advance, advancement of technology. Human beings have reached a point they think they can survive any calamity 
and prosper through medicine, economic modeling, human psychology, which includes manipulation of the word of God to extort from followers, and tools like laws and principles of success. They think God is no longer relevant in today's age. Now, the older generation of men, they used to enter their home compounds with a kind of a bang. I mean, they used to enter the homes noisily. They used to start singing when they were just about a few, half a, half a kilometer or a few meters away from home. And I don't know why they chose to sing. They were not necessarily the best of singers in terms of melody, but they chose to do it in musically, to do it musically. So they would sing, and then when they got to their gates, then he would start to say things. And among the things he said was, this is my house. Well, most of the times he would be drunk. And even when he was not drunk, he probably would pretend to be drunk and say, this is my house. The things in this compound are my things. The goats are mine. The cows are mine. The land is mine. You would even count the wife is mine, the woman in this house, and the children in this house are mine. And then he would be getting close to the house, and if by this time the wife has had him, she would come and meet him. And if she met him, she probably calmed him down so he got into the house calmly. But lo and behold, if she didn't and he got into the house, then he would use his cane to knock things down and probably look at the children. I think the most usual question was, Whose are you? And the children knew the answer has to be one, yours. Sometimes he went quiet. Sometimes he would do other things just to demonstrate that he is in charge. Sounds unreasonable, doesn't it? But he was desperately trying to make a statement. Kings and other people in authority also behave like that. Try to prove them irrelevant, and you'll regret the day you got the idea. I think there is something already, one of things happening around us here, where somebody has tried to show some big person irrelevant. Now, God does not behave exactly like that but wants you to constantly acknowledge he is behind creation and sustenance of the earth. 
behind your successes, your health, and your entire life. Submit to him and let him know you have done that. Deuteronomy 8, verse 11, and then we will also read 17 to 20. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Verse 17, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he saw to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And many times, David called on the Lord to show his might. It's like asking the Lord to roar, to enter with a bang, to show himself strong. You know, if you read Psalms 144, verse 3 to 6, he says, O Lord, what is man that you regard him? Or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Flash forth the lightning and scatter them. Set out your arrows and rout them. So David asking God to do some of those things. Bring a lightning and scare people that they may know you are God. He terrorizes our terror. So invite him. Tell him, Lord, this thing is terrorizing me every time I think about it. My stomach starts to rubble. Come, God, come. Terrorize my terror. This will take away fear and anxiety. You will persuade your inner faculties that the Lord is in control of everything. So number two, remember these are things that God is seeking from the believers to constantly and commit to. Number two is giving God exclusive dedication and glory. Now, Yahweh introduced himself to Moses and to the Israelites as a jealous God. In other words, he wants 100% dedication. No sharing. But that's because everything already belongs to him and our role is just to acknowledge that and live like we know that. Learn from the early church. Surrender your life into his hands and let him run it. 
examples of those who surrendered. were disciples of Christ. Jesus had told them in Matthew 16, 24, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And therefore, the disciples counted it as honor to suffer for Christ. Paul, for example, was not sure whether it was better living or dying. He says for him to live is Christ and to die is gain. They, the disciples, gloried in that which they ought to have been ashamed. They valued themselves higher when reproached for Christ. Now these days, we are different. We want to be gentlemen. We've been taught to be team players. We've been challenged to accept diversity and to agree on everything, to compromise. I don't mean each of this is wrong, but as Christians, not agreeing in everything with the world. We may argue that we are learned and experienced, but Paul exhorts us not to conform with the world but rather, we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds and present our bodies as a living sacrifice. God is unhappy with the sin of compromise and is seeking genuine repentance. He wants exclusive and compromise dedication and surrender. He's also angry with self-seeking Christian leaders who are after people's approval, want to be revered, respected, esteemed, praised, and glorified. God wants us to repent of these two sins that are fouled in the house of God. Compromise with the world and where we have sought to share in his glory. Let's go to the third thing that God wants us to do, to commit to. Christians must focus on the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now set your eyes on the coming age which we are hoping for, and that's Christ's return. Treasure that. We are citizens of the new Jerusalem, and that must be pronounced in our lives. That's where our greatest privileges and concerns lie. All the heroes and heroines of faith focused on the promises of God and things that were at that time hoped for. The Bible tells us that they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth, that they were seeking a homeland. They were not thinking of that land from which they had come out from, but they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, the Bible says, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. 
Now set yourself to have the mentality of a sojourner. Develop a network of like minds in the faith to challenge each other. Our conversations should focus around heaven and the new Jerusalem. Not only because Christ our Savior is now there, but more so because we hope to be there shortly. Seeking earthly comfort has led Christians to idolatry with a god called Mammon. Treasuring other wealth, <coughs> excuse me, other wealth and valuing it so highly. They fear what would happen if their businesses failed or if they lost their jobs or if their health or the health of a family member declined or if the tithes and offerings went down. That's what engages the minds of most Christians, causing fear and anxiety. The only fear that is approved in the Bible is the fear of God. And if you are not ready for and honestly looking towards Christ's return, you have a genuine reason to fear and be anxious. But if you are, then you are looking forward to it and there will be no fear and no anxiety. God is unhappy with the church and priests in his house. He's seeking repentance from all forms of idolatry, and especially that which is coming from the love of other wealth. And he is also unhappy with Christians who are not getting ready for his son's second coming. In conclusion, so are you willing to commit to what God is seeking? Will you commit to acknowledge God in everything? Are you willing to give God exclusive dedication and surrender and give him only glory? Will you focus on the second coming of Jesus Christ? The Lord wants us to stay strong and cheerful even in uncertain times like the one we are in right now. Habakkuk had that resolve. And in chapter 3, verse 17, he says, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. In verse 18 he says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk's time and his thoughts and the future he was seeing perfectly mirrors our time. Another man of God, Job, maintained hope and trust in the Lord, saying in chapter 13, verse 15, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. 
Yet I will argue my ways to his face. And in chapter 19, verse 25 and 26, he says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Paul, after he had sought the Lord's intervention multiple times, he received the message, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And he concludes in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 11. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pressure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Come on, rise up, stretch up, strengthen yourself. Maybe go before a mirror, give yourself the best of a smile, and remind that boy or that girl that you see in the mirror, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Habakkuk concludes by saying, See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the just will live by faith. For I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Finally, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Amen. God bless you and stay strong and cheerful in the Lord Jesus. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, as we stay holding in our homes and compounds, we sometimes feel like Gideon and the Israelites felt when they were besieged. And we sometimes feel like asking the same question, where is the God that we had saved the, our forefathers? But all you keep on reminding us that you are with us all the time, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. So even when we feel like we are left, we pray that the Spirit of God will come and flood in our hearts that we may know that God is with us. Father, I pray for that family that doesn't know what to do this evening. They have no food. 
They are sick. They don't know what to do. And Father, I pray for those that are seeking direction. They don't know what else to do after this has happened. God, remember them. We pray for those that are infected, that are sick, all those that have been diagnosed positive for coronavirus, and they don't even, they don't even feel it. Our God, you are the healer. You sent your word and healed our disease. We're praying that the healing power of God shall come down upon your people, God. Heal the people. Heal the families. Heal our nation, oh dear Father. We pray for the many whose relatives are infected, so they are affected themselves all over the world, and particularly in our country of Kenya. God, we seek your intervention in our situations. And Father, we pray that while we are waiting for that help to arrive, that we may continue to acknowledge you as our God. We may continue to acknowledge that you are the Lord who changes not. We thank you because we have known this. And you have let us, you have revealed this to us, oh dear Father. This then becomes our strength. That's why we confess that even when we are weak, we are strong. Father, we pray that we shall continue to give you glory. We shall continue to give you fully dedicated worship and honor. And in the meantime, God, help us to focus on the second coming of your son, Jesus Christ. Keep us in you. Keep our spirits high. Let us continue to know that our God is with us. And we shall not fear. And we shall not be anxious. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Yes, I hope that you have been blessed. I have been blessed. That was amazing. That was a word in season. May the Lord bless you. May you continue meditating on it, even as you continue about your week. I want to speak the blessings of God upon your life from the book of Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 to 26. And this is what it says, May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. I speak a blessing over your life this week and in the days to come. May the Lord bless you. Thank you for tuning in.